Pentecostal churches, of which OCC is one. So what that means is that some Sundays I'm not going to be here because I'm out uh, representing Elam Missions uh, in the UK, or I'm overseas. So next week I fly to India, and so I'm going to be there for uh, 10 days. Uh, but it is a joy to be able to just share with you this morning. And uh, John is a great guy, isn't he? He is a great guy, and, um, and we're so pleased to be a part of this church uh, because we get a sense of what God is doing, because there, there is a sense of momentum uh, with the church, there is a, a sense of expectancy for the future and what God is doing. It's been, uh, it's been great to walk with John for the last three years as his mentor and uh, work, you know, just, just listen to some of the stories uh, that uh, have been coming out of this place, and it's incredible. And so really what I share this morning, I, I, I hope it just helps to, um, uh, just to spur us on really to greater faith and, and good works. Because, you know, it isn't just about this Sunday, is it? It is about the whole of life being given over to the Lordship of Jesus and being about his mission. Now, I'm, I'm really thankful, and you are, and no doubt Emma is too, for the urgency that the paramedics showed in getting to Ian that day. They were laser-focused, weren't they? Nothing was going to get in their way. They, they were going to get to Ian. And then the laser-focused to get him to hospital, and then the surgeons who operated, they were, there was a real sense of urgency because nothing else matters at this point but getting, getting Ian well. I was really thankful when I was a, a young boy for the urgency my dad showed when I thought it was a great idea to run towards the edge of a cliff down a slope. He was like, Ian, Stop! I was really thankful now for the urgency that he showed. And I was also really thankful for the time when around St. Helens Market, I decided it would be a great idea to go and explore, only to get lost. And the urgency of my parents to try and find me. Thankfully, they did. But you get in a bit of a common theme. It's not my parents' fault. <laughs> it's mine. You see, the thing is, we, there's something about the urgency that, creates a laser focus. Um, for a number of years, I, worked with, I was a police chaplain, and, and I occasionally got to go out with some of the officers. And um, I've got to be honest, it got the adrenaline going somewhat. Um, but, you know, there's something. There's something about a mission and a task that clarifies everything else. And as I was stepping into 2019, I... I, you know, as I normally do, I go, Lord, what is it you want to say? What is it you want to do in me? What is it you want me to focus my attention on? And there were three things. And uh, these are three things that I, I think not just for me as an individual. I think they might be for us. I think there might be something that God wants to, to share in, in terms of uh, this congregation, but also as I, I get to travel now. And there are, there are three things. And I'm going to kind of concentrate on one of them, but these three things. A renewed sense of worship, actually. When we think about everything else, that when, when everything else ceases, the one thing that will continue is worship. Like mission ceases, um, everything else ceases, but worship continues. Now, if you're thinking that's simply about being on a, on a, you know, in, in the heavens and singing forever, it's, I, I think it's about this, this overwhelming sense of obedience from which we sing. This sense of my whole life being an act of worship out of, the, out of a place of obedience, from which we, um, we praise and we work and we do all of those things. So I think there's a sense of which 
God wants to realign our hearts with worship for the whole of life, not just for Sunday mornings. Second thing, I think he wants, uh, the, the things that he's really stirring in, in me and in us as a, 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 the church is a renewed sense of holiness. Which hasn't often been a popular thing to talk about or preach about because we, 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 we tread a fine line because we want, don't want to be seen to be legalistic and we don't want to be seen to be, you know, just uh, like isolated. But there's a renewed sense, I feel, of holiness because we are a distinct people. Because we are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven and therefore we have a different worldview and a different systems value that we operate by and so therefore we're called to be holding not, 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 just, not in isolation to the world but we're called to be distinct from the world. We're called to be a people set apart that demonstrates something of the majesty and the splendor and the glory and the beauty of the one in whom we serve because we've stepped into a new world. We're called to be a holy people because if people that we mix with on a day-to-day can't see something tangibly different about the way that we are, then why would they leave one world to step into a new world that is really no different from the world that they've just left? It doesn't make sense, does it? And so this call to holiness is not, is not, um, is not legalism. It's not a sense of, I'm better than you. It's just a sense that I know that I have been called and set apart for a purpose, and therefore I'm going to set my course to the one who's called me. That makes some sense. Okay, so holiness is just this sense of we're different. We, we operate according to different values. And then the third thing, which I'm going to focus on uh, for the next few minutes, is this sense of urgency. I think there's an urgency of the day. I, I, you know, I, I can't tell you when Jesus is going to come back. I, I can't. I, it would be, in some ways, I think it would be so much easier, wouldn't it, if we had a date. So Jesus is going to come back on the 23rd of October, 2020, and we can set our course, because we know, but really would we? Because if you're anything like me, you're a little bit like, you may be a little bit last minute. We kind of like push it to the end. And I think God, in his wisdom, infinite wisdom, has, has withheld this information. But yet we sometimes live like we've got all the time in the world. Don't we? Right? I, I know I do. I kind of think my, it's just going to go on and on and on and on. And something happens and that perspective changes. Like we realize we haven't got all the time in the world. And for you and I, who, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then you have been called out of a, an existence that was, you were, in, which, in which you were your own Lord and own King into a new world in which you now have a, a new King. And it's not you. His name's Jesus. And therefore, your priority, your worldview, your, your purpose shifts to not being about what you want, to being about what he purposes. And we understand that actually, this king is completely other. There is nobody like King Jesus. So the, the king of the old world, it, it, that, you can't trust that king. Selfish, self-serving, greedy glutton. The king of the new world, the king of the new world is completely other. He, he, is, he is sacrificial. He is completely loving. He is completely other. And therefore, 
everything that he does and calls us into is for his glory and our benefit and for the benefit of those people around us. Does this make some sense? So therefore, our sense of urgency begins to change because it's not urgency about what we want, it's an urgency about what he wants. So if you, how how will that change how we live our life? I'm going to just share some stuff from Luke 10. Uh, if you want to find it on your phone or in the paper Bible, if you've still got it, um, and we're going to just we're going to walk through it because I think what we get is a sense that Jesus is preparing his people uh, for mission with a sense of urgency. Now, if you if you were get, if you were to get an, to observe uh, the emergency services when they're on on task and there's something urgent, it, it is not chaotic. It's not like everybody running around thinking, oh, well, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Everybody knows their place. There's a command structure. And everybody knows their task. They listen to the, 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 the senior officer who delegates responsibility and authority to make sure the task is done because the mission is critical. There's an urgency about it, but it's not chaotic. You see, when we talk about urgency, we're not talking about randomly just doing loads of stuff. We're talking about a structured, ordered way to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us because he's our chief commander. He sets some stuff into place that enables us to operate with structure, clarity, focus, and purpose, but with urgency to get the job done. Did you know there are still 7,000 people groups who are unreached people groups who are yet to hear the good news. 7,000. I think it works out about over 50% of those are in Southeast Asia alone. The country that I'm going to visit next week, there are are 458,000 villages who are yet yet to have any Christian presence. In India alone. It's incredible. So you, you kind of think, what am I here for? Well, we're here to tell the good news. We're here to let as many people know this, this kingdom, this good news is for you and for all people. That's why we exist, whether we're in Bangladesh or Bognor Regis, whether we're in Stratford-upon-Avon or Strasbourg. We live and exist to make Jesus known and those environments in which we, he has placed us flourish. Um, so how, how, what does this look like practically? Well, actually, I think what it looks like is people who have a mindset to say, I, I'm, I'm here as God's ambassador, God's agent, God's person in this place, and therefore whatever I do, I want, it to, I want this place to flourish. So just a few weeks ago, I was hearing some stories of, of friends of ours who for... Um, a number of years have been involved in their local primary school. They're, I think they're involved in PTA or some kind of stuff. They, they, they've just sought to serve the school. Now, this school was in special measures. It was, it was like Ofsted rating, the worst you could possibly get. And just a few weeks ago, they got work. And I'm, I'm, hope, I'm not going to give you the name of the school because I, I don't think it's out in the public domain yet, or it might well be. But they've just gone from, from in like dire straits in the number of years through to like one of the, the best ratings in Ofsted. Massive, massive improvement. Now, you could say um, that's because of the hard work of the teachers, and you wouldn't be wrong, actually. You could say that the, the, the head teacher who was in place has, has led skillfully to, 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 be, uh, to bring that school into flourishing, and you wouldn't be wrong. 
But I would like to see, I would like to be in uh, that place in eternity when when God reveals what happened as a result of uh, of our friend's presence in that school and determination and decision to say, we will bless. We will not retreat, but we will bless and we will get involved. I just wonder what the, the cascading effect has been. Now, I would like to say, and maybe it's a bit of a guess, but I am not sure that school would have attained that if they hadn't made the decision to to prayerfully engage with that community. Because they've built a network of people that they're influencing, who are then influencing others. And you just see the ripple effects. And so I think this looks like this sense of purpose and clarity and urgency with a little bit of strategy. So we've got a massive task at hand. But let's not be overwhelmed. Because Jesus has given us the resources, the power and the skill to be able to carry out this mission. Now, when I talk about skill, I'm not talking about your educational status. I'm not talking about whether you've got master's degrees or PhDs or GCSEs or O-levels or none at all. He's not really looking for that. It can help because it can open some doors and you can speak at different places. So I'm not decrying that. But it's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a heart that says, Jesus, I'm holy and fully yours. And I want to be obedient to your call. And I'll, I'll be on task. And I'll simply live a life that loves others and blesses the environments in which you place me. So let me just, t- can, I, can I tell you about Barima? You may, you may not heard, I don't know whether you've heard about Barima. Has he been? Oh, so you know Barima. Wow, okay. Who doesn't know Barima? Okay, Barima is, um, is a Fulani from Burkina Faso. Now, the Fulani people are uh, tribal, they're nomads. They, they, uh, they just, they go where they go. Barima was brought up in a family that had uh, loads of kids, of which he was one among many. His um, dad decided to get some help around the house. I mean, to be fair, who could blame him? And the help that he got, this, this person was a, this guy was a Christian and began to talk with Barima. And over a, a, a while, Barima became a Christian and um, it began to grow and flourish and and Sabrina has started a ministry to the Fulani people. Now, I, I've lost count of the number of churches that Barima has planted and the number of Christians that have come to faith because of the sense of urgency that captivated his heart when he met Jesus. So I, I honestly, it's into thousands. Hundreds of thousands of people are part of the network in Fulani ministries uh, because they've met Jesus and come to faith as a result of one man's obedience. Now, I'm going to go back to my people. Now, it's you know anything about the, 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 the Fulani people, it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. 99% Muslim. Yeah. And, you know, all out Muslim. And so he's, he's taking a massive risk. But he's like, this sense of urgency, I, my people need to know about Jesus on task and on mission. Now, just interestingly, in the last few weeks, I got a report from Barima. And he said that, uh, that in the last, last little while, uh, another 117 new church plants have been established in Burkina Faso, of Burkina Faso alone. He's into some other uh, countries in West Africa, yeah. employment ministries. That's just in Burkina Faso. And in Burkina Faso, there's, another, there's a, a 58 new tra- training church planters. 
being trained and equipped, ready to go and to be sent. Why? Because they've got a sense of urgency, they've got a sense of clarity, and he's got a strategy. <laughs> he's, not, he's not just kind of like doing his little thing. He's intentionally training and equipping and sending people on mission because something has captivated their heart. So what can we do? What can we do? It's a great question, isn't it? And uh, I've just lost my presentation. <laughs> what can we do? So Luke 10, let me read it to you. After this, uh, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse 3, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Thank you, Jesus. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, um, by the way, that greet no one on the road, it's, it's not that they're being rude, it's just that the, the Jewish greeting were long. Like, they, they could have been there for a long time, greeting one another and welcoming one another. Jesus is like, guys, just, just stay focused. Don't get distracted from the task of which I'm sending you out. Just, just stay on task. Just stay on task. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you if there's ever a, a scripture that you want to misquote and misinterpret about door-to-door -door work, there you go. Whatever you enter, uh, whenever you enter a town and you receive, uh, and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town." You can't help but read the scriptures and see this sense of urgency about the day of the Lord, whether it's in the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament letters, the words of Jesus even. There is a sense of urgency about the return of the Lord. And it's what drives them, it's what captivates them, it's what gives them purpose. Because there are still people who need to hear the message of the kingdom. Verse 1 says this, um, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead. The thing is, they didn't just, they didn't think it was a good idea and say, Jesus, can I, can I go and have a go? Jesus, I'd like to have a, just a little try and see whether I like it or not. It's like, Jesus appointed them. He appointed them. He says, Ian, this is what I'm asking of you to do. Go and do it. But don't go on your own. I'm going to send you with somebody else. Why, why are you going to send you with somebody else? Because, well, it's not about being protected, actually, because he's, already, he's just said, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Like, so guys, this is going to be dangerous. Now, there might be a little bit of protection two by two, but if you get attacked by a wolf, I... So he sends them out. He appoints them. I think it's John 15, he says, he has, uh, that he has appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
So you're here this morning, and part of, if you're part of the kingdom of God, if you're, you've put your trust in Jesus, you've believed him for the forgiveness of your sin and embraced his life and teaching and, and trying to orient your whole life under his leadership, you're a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't matter, you know, I'm not talking about getting everything perfect or right or wrong. I'm just saying you're somebody whose heart is, is postured towards his. And his kingdom is saying, I want to follow in your way. You're a disciple, and therefore, you didn't think this was a good idea. He thought it was a good idea to appoint you, call you, and send you out on task. That's amazing, isn't it? Because I, I look at my life, and I think, Jesus, that really is amazing. I, I have to sometimes take a step back and think, Jesus, are you sure? And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not on my own in the room in that. He's appointed us for a reason and for purpose. You are appointed this morning. Not because of what you bring, but because of what he brings. Because of who he is and what he's deposited in you. So you're appointed to go and bear fruit internally, fruit internally, so that inner transformation work of the Spirit, and externally, that other people might see it, experience it, and taste it, and know Jesus. So two by two, we've already done that. So let me move on. So there's, there's a couple of other things that I think you can do. So Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Now this is a spiritual harvest. This is a, Jesus using an agricultural um, f- phrase to, to, under, to help them understand some spiritual principle. Is that there are so many people who are hungry to hear about Jesus. Who are ready to hear about Jesus. They're not ready to hear about church. You watch the difference. You start talking about church. It's like, (laughs) hello. Start talking about Jesus and see what happens. Now, some will reject you. They'll go, I'm not bothered about Jesus. Because they associate maybe what happened with church, with Jesus. And not everything that happens in church is Jesus, by the way. And so we've got to work through some of that. If you start talking about Jesus and just see what begins to happen, some people will draw close. They'll be like, oh, tell me more about this Jesus. And they'll, they'll want to know more about this Jesus when you let them close enough that they begin to see the transforming work of Jesus in you. Like, so then it doesn't just become this verbal onslaught of Jesus can do this for you. Like some sort of scatter are going to approach. It's just actually let come. Come and see. Let me tell you my story. I was once like this, but now I'm like this. And one day I'll be like this. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And he's promised that I'm going to get into this new heaven and new earth where one day all of this will be made new. Do you want to come? Who wouldn't want to partake in that? especially when they see this new life being worked out in us, in the here and now, one day we will fully know, even as we're fully known. So it's not, it's not a, a, a full, fully now, but imagine the impact when we be, people begin to see something of, of the transformation in our lives. I hope this is making some sense this morning. The harvest is plentiful. People just need to hear it. If we don't, if we don't go about the harvest then the low-lying fruit is going to rot. And I have a problem with that because that's then a steward. 
God has called us and commissioned us to do. We're stewards. We're stewards of his creation. We're stewards of his, this good news. We're stewards of our life. We're stewards of everything that we have. And so if we're not about the business of Jesus, because it's his harvest, by the way, not ours, this harvest isn't about a full building, it's about the population of the whole world, It begins to shift something when we understand it's not ours, it's his. Because if it's ours, we can do with what, it, what we please. But if it's not ours, we have, a, we have to give an account for what has been given to us. And therefore, it changes everything when we understand that the Lord of the harvest has said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers of you pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You know, we can pray that prayer this morning and um, I think God would say, go on then. Go on then. Because you're it. The beautiful thing about the harvest is that when we reap from the harvest that is there, it's not to just be entertained as part of this church culture. It's not. It's that they might too participate in the reaping of the harvest. So the idea of blessing, that, that blessing to Abraham, that promise to Abraham, back in Genesis 12, it was that, that the whole earth might be blessed through him. So this reaping and sowing, coming and going, it's about the glory of God and the, the reaping of the harvest that is ready right now. So you can pray for the Lord of the harvest. Prayer aligns our hearts with his. Prayer enables us to see and to hear and to listen to the things that are on his heart. It enables us to see as he sees. So when you go into your workplace or your home or your college, your university, wherever it is that you're going to find yourself and you're living this life and rhythm of prayer, I think there's times where we need to withdraw for prayer. And then I think, I think a little while ago, a few weeks ago, John talked about this prayer of this constantly being in tune with God, that walking with him, knowing him, fellowshipping with him throughout the day. We, we begin to listen and see in a whole different way. And we say things that we don't even realize we're saying. And behave in a way that we don't realize that they're necessarily behaving. But people begin to see something different about us. Because prayer is that transforming, enables that transforming work of the Spirit as we engage with the Scriptures and allow Him to speak by His, by, by his truth and His Word into our hearts. And so then the other thing that you can do is you can go. So you've got to go. This, this going is, it, it, we can't go unless we actually get up and move. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just not possible. So the, the idea of Jesus when he said, go into all the world, is that as you go, you see, the problem I think we've had for too long is that we've made evangelism and witness and service something that's additional to what we do. So we, I, and I'm all for events, but actually what we need to do is have this sense of, I'm about the business of Jesus in my ordinary everyday, and when there's an event on as a gathered community, there's a chance for other people to see the witness that this is not just my thing, it's our thing. So that's why I think Jesus sent them out in twos. Because if you're on your own and you're talking about Jesus and you're, you know, all of that, that's good. It's sowing some seed. But what happens when somebody else comes along and they say, I believe in Jesus too. And somebody else comes along, I believe in Jesus too. I, I believe in Jesus too. 
And then there's somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus begins to go, well, maybe. Maybe there's something in this. Because I've heard their story of transformation. I've heard their story of transformation. And I trust them and I like them and I've heard their story of transformation. Oh, man, maybe there's something I need to explore here. And all of a sudden, it's as you go. The ordinary, everyday stuff of life. Evangelism and witness and service and mission. It might be that the Lord calls you to go over, overseas and do cross-cultural mission. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But actually, it's just about the ordinary, everyday. Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I can't disagree with him. So, some are called to be big-end missionaries, to go overseas and do cross-cultural stuff, great. Others are just, other, others just small-end missionaries called to live it out in the everyday, ordinary stuff of the here and now. Don't see it as just something additional because you'll never find time to do it. Just build it in as you go. So as you go shopping and you talk with people, be nice and smile and let people go in front of you. And slow the pace down. Just serve. Flourishing. And colleagues, what does that look like for you? To work with your colleagues as, as that sense of go, that recapturing the sentness of Jesus. So you can go, you can go out amongst others. I've already talked about that. It's going to be dangerous out there. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to listen. But that's okay. That's not on you. You don't have to force anybody. You just need to be you and talk with truth and honesty and authenticity and live it out in the way that Jesus has called you to. And this, uh, this other thing in verse 4 is really important. He says, effectively, he's telling them to travel light. Why is he telling them to travel light? Because I think he's expecting them to come back and they'll do a debrief and all that. That's great. But what other reason could he ask them to travel light? I, I just wonder whether sometimes in our, in our going, we try and do too much and we try and serve too much and take too much and, and solve too much. And, and it gives no space for anybody else to serve us. Now, he sent them out. He says, where, where you're received and where they serve you, where they give you a meal, where they welcome you into your home, stay there. Let them serve you. Let them talk with you. Because in doing so, if we don't go fully equipped... It gives God a space for God to do the stuff that we could never do. And so go, as you go, let people serve you. You know, having people around your home is not necessarily about entertainment and doing everything for them. It is about creating a space of hospitality where they just become part of the family. So when we, we have people around to our house, we, uh, we kind of expect them to do the washing up. <laughs> okay, kind of. Um, especially if we've journeyed with them a little while, they'll get, they'll get in and they'll do the washing, you know, they'll do the, put it in the dishwasher and then once they've gone, I have to restack it because, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a way, isn't there, you have to do it. But do you get what I mean? Like, it's just, when, when you're journeying with people and you, people who aren't Christians and they have your own, just serve them and let them serve you. Open up your life to them and see what God does. And when they're open to you, and they're open to your message, and they're serving you, oh, happy days. Now, they might be ready, for the, right? might be ready to communicate something of the good news. Now, you've just got to work that out. Listen to the Spirit. What's he doing? What are the opportunities? And journey with people. And at some point, there'll be an opening to talk about Jesus. 
Now, if they don't get to that point, I'm not saying abandon them, because that's not friendship. You create the environments of which people can see how you operate and live, and, and, and so you just want to love and serve people. But there'll be some times where people have no interest, at, uh, no interest at all. Now, continue to be nice to them, continue to love them, continue to spend time with them, but don't keep trying to persuade them about Jesus when they're not ready. We can waste so much time and energy and effort and emotion. Keep praying for them. Keep praying that God would soften their hearts, that at some point there'll be an opportunity to, to communicate. But where is the opening? Where is the fruit? Concentrate there and see what God does because they might open up avenues and access and networks to people that can enable you and others to be ambassadors of good news. Is this making some sense? Okay, I'm conscious of time. Um, so that's, that would be like that would be looking out for a person of peace, somebody who's just really receptive to you. Then you can. Uh, then the other thing is to demonstrate the kingdom. Demonstrate the kingdom. See, Jesus says, "Heal the sick." Now I don't know about you, but that for me, I, that's a real step of faith, isn't it? Like Jesus, I'm going to pray for this person, and I haven't because I have absolutely no control whether that person's going to get healed or not. Or it's like, like your story. We, just, we, we pray for this stuff and we just, we, we, we just it's, it's faith, it's trust, it's obedience. So are we willing to take some risks? I, I wonder if the more risks that we took and the more opportunities we grabbed a hold of, would we see God do some things that we would never see him do if we were always to play it safe? What does demonstrate the kingdom? I think it looks like getting involved in your local, local stuff and just being a person of blessing. I, I think it looks like just having determination. I, I want these environments that I'm going to be in to be different because of my presence in a positive way, in a good way, that people see something of the benefit of having me in that environment. I'll never forget what one police officer said to me. Um, and I use this as an illustration, but it was a number of years ago. Uh, it was one Christmas um, down at the police station in Wensbury. I walked in with a box of, box of heroes or something, a tub of heroes. I'll just take something down, box it in, sat down. He says, um, he says oh, thanks for that. Then he says, you know, there's something, this, this, this place changes, the atmosphere changes when you're about. We had a little bit of a conversation, and I walked away, and I'm thinking, what is all that about? Because I'm just, just being me. Sometimes we don't need to be anything other than who we are, actually. Now, if you're not very nice, then I work on that. <laughs> okay, work on that. But if, but if you're just, your heart's postured towards Jesus, and you're, you're seeing your, your life change, the chances are other people are going to see your life change too, and begin to go, oh, we like having you around. What is it? thing is, going out, we've got to talk about the name of Jesus, not just do good works. Anybody can do good works. Anybody can do nice things. So we're not necessarily, I'm not against doing nice things. But the reason we do the nice things is because we're, why do we do it? Because of Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who has changed my life, Jesus. I could tell you some other stories, but I haven't got time. So does that make some sense? So demonstrate the kingdom. It's not just about the power ministry that I think is available to us because of the Spirit. It's it's about enabling flourishing in the environments God has placed us. And then then uh, then finally, 
teach the kingdom. He says to them, teach the kingdom. Teach the kingdom. What is that? Well, tell them about Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus. Not the one that you think is true. Tell them about the one who's revealed in Scripture, the one who is transforming your life, the one who is, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one above all creation, the one who holds all things together, who sustains all things by the power of his hands, who is able to calm the sea, who is able to cast out demons, who is able to heal the sick. Tell them about that, Jesus. Tell them about the Jesus who's able to forgive sin that nobody else can deal with. Tell them about the one who's able to release the captives from shame and defeat and destruction. Tell the addicts that they're able, there is ability and power because of Jesus to be set free. Tell them about that Jesus. Not the nice Jesus. Not the nice, cozy, quiet, gentle Jesus. Tell them about the Jesus who has all authority and is the commander of his people the king of his people and the king of your heart. Tell them about the one who is changing you and transforming you. Not just everybody else. Tell them about the work that he's doing in you because you understand it and know it. Tell them about that, Jesus. So, so I've come into land. Will you give your all to him? The one who gave his all for you. Will you live your life knowing that you've been appointed by him to go and bear fruit? How will all of this that I've talked about this morning, how will it shape your prayer? How will it shape how you engage prayerfully in the mission and the place that God has placed you tomorrow morning or even this afternoon, wherever it is that you're going to find yourself, how is it going to influence and shape your prayers? Will it, will it mean that your heart is just a little bit open, more open to the activity of God and filled with courage to say, here I am, Lord, send me. You sense the Spirit beckoning you, calling you, empowering you, prodding you. Respond to him. Sure, it's scary. Sure, you might not know where it might, he may lead. But respond to him and go with him. Because I think that's where we find fullness of life. Thanks for listening so much. Thanks, Josh. Thank you.